Not all heroes wear capes, right? And some women within our own households, whether it's ourselves or, you know, our moms, our, our grandmothers, they have to be very brave and courageous to speak up and hold agency for themselves for the most basic, basic things to just feel like they can hold agency for themselves on a day-to-day -day basis. Welcome to Bitch Talk. I'm your host, Erin, here with my co-host, Ange, aka Captain Party. And over the last 10 years, we've been elevating marginalized voices through interviews and events. Sometimes over a glass of whiskey. If you're thirsty for more bitches, head over to bitchtalkpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. A big thank you to 48 Hills and our listeners for voting us Best of the Bay Best Podcast in 2022 and 2023. And now, on with the show. Welcome to our Sundance Slam Dance coverage. Today we're highlighting three Slam Dance shorts that deal with family issues baby, dosh, and restorage. As usual, we're joined by our honorary festival bitch, John Wildman. Enjoy. Here we are on Bitch Talk and FilmsGoneWild.com. My name is John Wildman, the editor-in-chief of Films Gone Wild, flanked by Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora, the co-hosts of Bitch Talk. And on this segment, we're going to talk about the short Baby uh, out of Australia, which is screening at Slamdance. Um, and I'll have our filmmakers introduce her so you'll recognize their voices. Um, James DiMartino, director-producer of Baby. And Llewellyn Michael Bates, writer and producer of Baby. Okay, we always start this uh, segment by having our filmmakers introduce the audience to the film. They haven't seen it as yet. So whichever one of you wants to do this, tell us about Baby. So Baby is a short film about two adults with Down syndrome. And the woman's dream is to have a baby. And then it's the implications of that through the short. Um, this film has a very specific lens. I wanted to know um, why tell it now and was it always a short film? Um, we've always planned to make it a feature film and um, I think now disability is really coming into the forefront in mainstream media and um, I just felt like it was the right time. I wanted to make something that was positive you know, and life-affirming and saying that anybody can follow their dreams and do what they want if they have help. And um, I guess that goes to show that when you get a really good script in front of you and there's someone that wants to make something that's you know, amazing um, and seeing the script form over a number of years, I really, really wanted to tell the story um, and do whatever I could and get the budget that I could to pull off because, you know, Llewellyn has some great ideas, you know, like starting the film with a car smash, you know, was something that I didn't want to cut. I didn't want to take that out just to make it easier and I think that's the best thing about working with Llewellyn is, is that it's always going to be challenging endeavor but you're going to end up with a film that we're very proud of. Yeah. yeah I specifically there was a dance party scene that I especially loved and I just had so much fun watching the entire short and I think that as humans we already underestimate each other especially somebody with Down syndrome so I think it was really beautiful to see what they're capable of living lives just as we are. So can you talk about showing these scenes and them having fun and uh, why it was important for you to incorporate all this? I think, firstly, um, it, was, it was about 
for me, it was looking at some of the, the greatest um, filmmakers and being inspired by them. And I know that you probably can't see it in, the, in that party scene, for instance, but Fellini's Eight and a Half was a way of framing for me of how to stage the scene. And um, even though it came out quite different, I was still referring to that. And um, I think Bergman and Bergman was also a major um, influence, especially on some shot choices on how to frame the actors and stuff. Um, with the party scene, it was uh, they had a lot of fun, both of the actors. Um, they, I think it was just about getting... And in scenes where there was no dialogue, they really could not... They didn't have that pressure of having to talk um, around where the marks came in because those days were more intensive for them. And I... I think the way that me and the Welland structured this short, because it was nearly 10 days for a short film, um, was that time allowed us to dedicate a whole day to a specific scene and allow us to get the film the way that we wanted to. So um, Aaron had a lot of fun on, on that scene and we'll, we know they love dancing. I think that's something that, you know, you love yeah, working um, so he can talk about so that. So Michael Buxton is um, in our theatre, uh, in my theatre company called Rollercoaster or the company that I work for, I should say. And um, he's an amazing dancer. And whenever I see him, like, we always do warm-ups in class. And whenever I see him, he's so encapsulating. So I was like, I just want to write a scene around just, like, this moment of excitement and then encapsulating his... He's just... He just... The way he moves his body is so idiosyncratic and specific to him. Yeah. And it just makes everyone smile. Mm-hmm. You know... Uh, we were on the red carpet last night, and and we had you know Aaron and Michael, Yana, um, uh, there. Am I saying her name right? Is it Yana? Yeah, yeah. Yana, it's all right. And so so, uh, which was wonderful to, to 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 see them in the moment, and it just reminded me also that you know as as filmmakers, especially with you know um, with uh, you know with with Aaron and Michael in particular, there's a responsibility that you have to kind of care for your cast beyond just getting the shots. And and, 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 and and so that moment of all of you together, you know, and, and it's kind of cliche to say it's kind of a family moment, but, but talk about, you know, one, how that enhanced shooting this film, um, and two, how it made it also maybe a little bit challenging, like there are challenging moments because of the care that you needed to make sure that Aaron and Michael were taken care of throughout the filming. I think that... Um it was well first of all Aaron and Michael both have amazing parents mm. and we couldn't have done the movie without how much they were willing to give to their children and I th- well I guess you can talk a bit more about like how like that relates like because you know uh, that, uh, I think there's something about you can't talk directly to them about you have to go to their parents first and organize it with them and then they, they all come to they were at set every single day so you might want to I said tomorrow about, about I mean the logistical side of it is there's a lot of more organization with the parents um, and then from a shooting perspective too um, James is really great in, in enabling us to have like really long shoot days where it was less stressful and more time rather than on other shots where maybe you'll get a day to shoot the whole film or two days we were really spending the time and he was spending the time to really direct the scenes well and and then also give them enough time to like warm up and 
be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, and it was also really important that, like, when we met Aaron, that, like, you know, you know, we needed her for the whole shoot. We needed, you know, and Aaron hadn't acted before, so there was, you know, we had we met her a few times, and I could see that she was, you know, she was gonna keep up for the whole way through because my anxiety was halfway through she would not want to do it or something but that wasn't the case she was keen to do everything like even like <laughs> and, and I mean we got that vibe last night I'm like you know when it came to the kissing scene a very intimate scene a very uh, a scene that we had to discuss with them both and their parents and make sure that they were okay with it and you know Erin was such a trooper to just give it a go you know like and that was all and they were both willing to do it we had the consent from them and their parents were more than willing to let them have to go for it so in terms of uh that question i think their parents and and those two actors were very willing to give a lot to the production um well you know uh, and of course with um uh, full transparency i i'm working uh you know to, to to put this film forward but and and I've been loving doing it from first meeting, from seeing it, because it's one of the most joyous movies, mm-hmm. um, which, which I mm-hmm. never say lightly. Um, so congratulations on that, you guys. The film is Baby, um, which is playing at Slam Dance. Uh, we've been talking with James DiMartino and Roland Michael Bates. It's been great talking to you guys. Uh, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by fancy bitch, Cher Culver. We are on Bitch Talk and FilmsGoneWild.com. My name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief of Films Gone Wild. With me is Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora from Bitch Talk. On this segment, we're going to talk about the short film Dosh, which is screening at Slamdance. And we're going to have our filmmakers introduced, so you'll recognize their voices as they talk. So, Rada? Yeah, so my name is Radha Mehta. I am the director and co-writer of the film Dosh. Renu? Hi, my name is Renu Razdan. I am the actor that is um, starring in Dosh. Okay, and we start off our segment by having you introduce our audience to the film. They haven't seen it as yet. So Radha, tell us about Dosh. Yeah, so Dosh is about a a young, hard-of-hearing mother, Indian mother, who... um, does what she can to save her family and and in turn ends up saving her own life. Uh, It does tackle the topics of mental health, such as bipolarism, as well as disability within our South Asian culture um, and the shame that we often are told to, are made to feel. Uh, So yeah, so the theme is really just about love and empathy and overcoming shame uh, within our diaspora. First of all, a beautiful movie. I Thank I, you. <laughs> Ange and I were texting and talk, we talk all the time and it was just like one of our favorites. So thank you so much for making this film. There are so many themes that you are tackling that you just mentioned in the film. Um, you could have gone either way. Why talk about both in a short film? Yeah, yeah, it's a very good question. And um, I'll tell you, it took a long while to develop it to the point that, it, you know, that our final product. But... Um, <clears throat> I didn't want it to be a film about disability itself. I want it to just be a slice of life in this particular family's um, situation where disability is something that's very much a part of this main character, something that she's lived with all her life. And then the idea of bipolarism with her husband being undiagnosed, um, it poses a new challenge in her own life and just having to be able to address that with their family, like specifically with the mother-in-law. Um, these are things that I deal with on a daily basis, just in my own family, just from having grown up. And the real topic is really about shame. Like we're just told to feel, you know, we're just made to feel shame and it has to do with karmic law. 
to a lot of sense, you know, is the kar- karmic law within at least the Hindu religion is like what goes around comes around. If we must have done something wrong in a bad in a, in a last life that has that basically makes us deserve this condition. And that's this this film. The reason I wanted to tackle both in quite a subtle way is um, is just my way of trying to dismantle that taboo. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Um, I think especially as a child of immigrants, I think you did a really beautiful job of showing the difficulties of the culture, but also the beauty of the culture mm. with the instruments, the ceremonies, mm-hmm. and just the overall togetherness of the family. So can you talk about finding that balance? Because you, you showed a lot of the beauty as well. And also um, for you, Renu, to be acting in that and, and what it means to be able to express both of those sides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, for me at this core, at the core, this is about a woman kind of learning how to feel more empowered, and um, you know, this stems from uh, personal truths and Radha's life. So for me, it was just about layering on, you know, all of those different um, explorations of what that means. In this particular case, I have family members who have. Um, dealt with similar similar impediments um, when it comes to the disability aspect as well as the uh, mental health aspect of it. And I think the topic of shame as a woman is something that is just explored in multiple dimensions. So for me, it was really about just um, female empowerment. And uh, the film really opens um, with the protagonist, Karishma, who I got to play kind of having a moment of freedom in her self-expression, and I think that's the only time we really feel that. And so at the top of the film, we really start rooting for her when we start seeing the unraveling of how she's actually quite stifled within her own household. And I think not all heroes wear capes, right? And some women within our own households, um, whether it's ourselves or you know our moms, our, our grandmothers, um, it's they have to be very brave and courageous to speak up and hold agency for themselves for the most basic basic things to just yeah feel um, feel like they can hold agency for themselves on a day to day basis. You know, one of the things that I loved about this movie is that there is a loving quality to it, which 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 which, which sounds you know maybe like well, what what the hell does that mean? Um, but because of what you're dealing with. Um, with the characters and you know and that the differences in what takes you would use the differences in reaction shots you would use mm-hmm. uh, the rea- you know it um, the the shadings like just a, a, a half of a second wrong or or a different glance wrong can change the whole flavor uh, of this thing and it, and it's really truly beautiful um, that you know th- that how things play out, you know, where they can go into very melodramatic territory, yes. but they don't. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and how things come together, it comes to a loving conclusion. I would love for you to talk about that, you know, filmmaking wise, mm-hmm. again, those decisions when you're in the editing bay or when you're asking for an extra take, yeah. you know, what was going through your head and how you're approaching it. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I can talk about process all day for sure. <laughs> so I'll tell you, um, so my co-writer and I, Noura Aladi, she's from Saudi Arabia. She's like a soul sister of mine. When I first shared the story with her, um, she was very intrigued because it's inspired by our own, like my true events. And the way we had, you know, first started with our draft, 
it was very expositional, it was very melodramatic, right? But then several drafts later, we got it to be super fine-tuned. And then my collaboration with my DP, Isu Shin, a Korean uh, filmmaker, she and I really discussed um, color and uh, you know framing that feels very grounded and very real. And then it was up to me as a director when it comes to you know seeking the performances that I wanted out of my actors. And my favorite thing to do, and this is for my documentary work as well, is just sit on the character after they say their line. Just sit yeah. on them. Because you, there's so many things going on in their head, whether if it's like scripted or unscripted, and those are some of the most beautiful moments. Mm-hmm. And so the other favorite thing that I love to do, is, especially in fictional filmmaking, is doing silent takes, where they don't say their lines, but they act out the scene. And so I had a lot to play with because I had incredible performers that I had a chance to rehearse with. I explained my story, but then they brought their own authenticity. But when we were actually on set, we were just so dialed in. And so then I was able to get the takes just from the get-go. But the additional takes of the silence, as well as like the holding extra longer, those are the things that ended up serving quite magical for me and for my editor and I, um, Joe Murphy and I, um, that we had so much fun playing with. But then during the editing process, that's where the extra second, the, you know, the half second off, whatever, that's where you go into like, okay, if we had this one extra second is melodramatic, mm-hmm. but just slightly less, all of a sudden it feels like very real. And so I appreciate you asking that question because all those things matter, like every split second, as well as like the emotions the reactions, like what were they really thinking? And I'm just really good about, at least for what I think, I, I'm really, I study the dailies like to the nth degree that I almost edit the film in my own head first before I go in to speak with my editor. And that's one of the things that I just wanted to make sure that it just felt so grounded, but it took us time. Like my team that I worked with, the collaboration is so necessary in order to keep elevating it to, you know, to, to the level that I feel, we feel proud of. Finely tuned is a perfect way to put it. We've been having a lot of fun director and actor talk. Um, uh, the film is screening at Slamdance. It's been wonderful talking about the movie with both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk would like to give an extra special thanks to our caviar bitches. Antoinette Tabora, Annie Tabora, Courtney Kita, a.k.a. C-Note, Tim Sika, Sign the Show, and Arabella DeLuco, founder of WeXL.org. We're on Bitch Talk and FilmsGoneWild.com. My name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief of Films Gone Wild. With me is Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim from Bitch Talk. And on this segment, we're going to talk about Restorage, which is a pilot slash short, which is screening at Slamdance. And I'll have the filmmakers introduce themselves so you'll recognize their voices. Ian? Hey, my name is Ian Verdugo, and I'm a co-writer, creator with Caleb Davis, and I'm the director of Restorage. And Caleb. And I'm Caleb Davis, uh, yeah, co-creator of Restorage and producer on Restorage. Okay, our audience has not seen Restorages yet, so which one of you wants to introduce them to what this is about? Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll see if I can do do this as well as we've done in the past. So our um, we, it's sort of a pilot episode for a TV show um, based around a really dysfunctional family. We focus on a character, Chase, and Chase is kind of the deadbeat of the family. Uh, the patriarch of the family has passed, and he's um, bequeathing items um, from his will to uh, the family. And so Chase and his siblings show up. Um, some of the siblings get the family estate and some money. Chase gets a storage unit um, that is essentially filled with nothing except for the ability 
to fix anything that's placed inside of it that is broken. Uh, and then throughout that process of him being given the magic powers to fix anything that you place inside of it that's broken, he then screws up worse um, with this twist that we have in the end of the episode. So, yeah, so we sort of play on family dysfunction, what it looks like to be a broken person, how do you fix broken things, how do people get fixed, Mm -hmm. what does it look like to be a flawed human individual. It's sort of that we aren't able to do a lot with the pilot, but that's kind of where we're, we're going, going yeah. with the mm-hmm. show. So. To clarify for our audience, did you say bequeathing or bequeathing? Uh, bequeathing for sure. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And yes, and which is right Let's really out. clarify. Yeah. Yes, that is what <laughs> Caleb Absolutely. said. Okay, yeah. just, I just want to make sure I heard that right. Whatever yeah. the okay. audience it's... heard is correct. <laughs> so either way. I said bequ- I heard bequeathing. Yeah, Anyways. Yeah, yeah. We bequeathing on Bitch Talk yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Great. Anyways, back to research. So, which is tough for me because I'm sitting in the center. (laughs) (laughs) It's a queef scene. You're welcome, John. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is the time where it goes off. We normally charge for that, John. You're lucky. (laughs) So, um, whose story is this? How personal is this? And do you need to unpack some things with us right now? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do, and it is it is Caleb and I. But like, I think. I can give a little bit of context of how sure. this even came about. Um, Caleb and I, we, we shot a really silly like uh, short film uh, in a studio where I had worked a couple times, and the owner of the studio heard us like having fun, and he pulled me aside and was like, hey, um, you guys sound like you're having a blast. I own a storage facility. So if you ever need one for like a short or a movie or something, like you could use it. And so then I took, I got Caleb and I was like, hey, let's like come up with an idea to pitch to him. Um, and so for me, I personally love like dramedy, family dysfunction stuff. So it is very personal for me. And I brought it to Caleb and I was like, hey, I'd love to like try and make something that's like, uh, you know, a family dramedy, maybe something like Kim's Convenience where it's revolved yeah. around, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a specific shop. And then Caleb was like, that's awesome. What if the storage unit is a portal and I was like uh okay let's explore that idea (laughs) and then it kind of became this whole thing so how to unpack uh what's going on internally let's wait till after the podcast (laughs) but do you want to speak well yeah no so I mean we 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 knew that we wanted to go this cool cool sci-fi uh route and that the hook in the end is sort of like the sci-fi is the thing that gets you there the the grounded sci-fi we didn't have a lot of money so we were like (laughs) so of course the sci-fi happens in a storage unit with the door closed like cool that's like that's the best we can do uh but but at the but at the heart of it so in the in the pilot you get a little bit of that family dysfunction but then in the end it's the hook is the sci-fi right Mm -hmm. but throughout the season we knew that like the sci-fi is the cool it's going to grab you but the family dysfunction at the heart of it that's why you're there yeah that's mm-hmm. what you're going to want to see from the characters yeah. that's the whole that's the whole point um you know what the portal is of the story or what or the sci-fi is it really should be a vehicle yes. for the story and for the characters yes. which is what we wanted it to be number one yeah you know real people dealing with real yeah crap mm. um in a really sort of like fantastical situation mm-hmm. yeah yeah 
Yeah, it was sort of like a twist on succession for me. I was yeah. like, this oh, is cool. this is an odd sure. connection, and <laughs> yeah. I would love to see the locker in succession. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's, it makes it the three siblings, yeah. the two yeah. brothers, and exactly. the sister, and, yeah. the, and the dad. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I love the cliffhanger at the end, and I'm, I'm really excited to watch the next episode. But I'm we curious, are too. I'm curious <laughs> how far ahead have you written? Like, do you know where it's going? Is the season one? Yeah, we so we have season one outlined, and we're in the middle of of writing episodes but we have it whole yeah. out- outlined and we're really treating the first season like the pilot and that we want it to feel like there's some pretty clear character arcs happening and things that get resolved but there's still something at the end that is kind of a big cliffhanger that for, could for a open it up season. to something more but right. like for us we would love it if it was like a limited series one season yeah. but if someone was like i love that cliffhanger at the end let's keep going then Mm. let's keep going (laughs) and we're trying we're trying to see how it could work with television i think what we have so far formats itself well for tv and it's but obviously if somebody gave us money to and and was to say hey make a feature it's like yeah we make a feature hey it's a stage production we'd be like yeah we we could do it on stage that's fine (laughs) stage (laughs) production hey honestly connor boyd uh as a you know singing on stage i would pay to see that um anyways but yeah we have the first season like outlined Mm -hmm. and and very much like yeah we feel really good about uh, the characters that we're writing some of the episodes and then yeah Yeah. sort of have an outline in case we wanted to do a feature and it definitely gets more sci-fi and it definitely gets more silly and it definitely gets more emotional which i think that's sort of like the heart of the pilot so i Mm. I really think that the pilot Mm. really captures the essence of what we have kind of planned out so Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about shooting and making a film in Dallas, mm. Texas. Oh, yeah. Because I'm from there as well, and I've shot there. And when I came there, we had four television series that were shooting in town. We had feature films. And then Texas said, but you don't need that money because petroleum needs that money. Yeah. And, mm. and, yeah. the, and, and the only people that make money off of this are liberals like Matt Damon and Sean Penn. Yeah. So now, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so now we, don't get, we don't get money for shooting in Dallas. And so people like me go, well, then I'll, fine, I'll go to L.A. or I'll yeah, go somewhere yeah, else yeah. to shoot. Sure, 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 sure. But you guys did shoot it in Dallas. Yeah. You, and, yeah. and so talk about, talk about the challenges <laughs> or maybe the not challenges, because I think they're all challenges in shooting in Dallas. Yeah, shooting in Dallas. So I will say this. Our budget maybe wasn't big enough to try to get incentives. So in terms no. of the whole incentives stuff, it's we weren't necessarily there. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> but But I think... What we're seeing from Dallas right now, especially with like Taylor Sheridan coming in and bringing all of the Yellowstone 1883 shows with him, um, which is, to be fair, Fort Worth, and, uh, uh, yeah, a lot yeah, of Fort yeah, Worth, but yeah, we'll, yeah. DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth, and right. the Metroplex. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're seeing a lot is is we're seeing sort of him as he's bringing in these productions. We're seeing Dallas and and Austin especially sort of open up and and desire for a lot larger productions um so i don't know if that has helped from an incentive base i would imagine it it would and then for us really it's it's been sort of we have this small community of filmmakers in dallas that are all sort of in the same level where they're just they're just really trying to make really passionate content or really just stuff whether it be features or shorts that they're that they really love and I think sometimes we can kind of feel isolated in our bubble of people because we just have this incredible group of 
people yeah specifically in like the denton area where mm-hmm. we where we work so i mean for us it's 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 less like oh shooting in dallas we got to work with the the film commission has been great to us the fort worth film commission has been great to us it's yeah. been less of sort of how do we get around dallas and more <laughs> just like we're gonna make something whether you guys like it or not yeah and it feels very punk rock it, a in a lot bit. of ways oh, yeah but and also and i think that like the the filmmakers in in dallas and in our community it's like everyone i think for us, we do a lot of commercial work in Dallas, and so everyone there does a lot of commercial work, and everyone is hungry for narrative, passionate storytellers, passionate stories, and we just have a group of people that are like, we are taking the charge and doing it, yeah. and you know, we'll figure it out. And then we run into weird, crazy situations where a guy's like, I own a storage facility. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. And then Who's, we're like, okay, also, let's do he's it. He's also the financier. Yeah, he's of the, the executive of, producer of, of, of the project. Of the so it like, which is a perfect setup. It's crazy. But, but yeah, I mean, I think there was like a lot of benefits and that we just had people that were willing to work really hard because they believed yeah. in the project. They believed in us. Um, yeah. And then the challenges were we shot in the middle of freaking summer yeah. and had a lot of outdoor locations. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, and, and no place is hotter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No it's, place is hotter uh, than Dallas during brutal. the summer. Brutal. Maybe the surface of Mercury. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of concrete around too. And that oh just makes God. it worse. And Dallas is so flat, so it's all concrete. Yeah. So it's yeah. But I mean, well, and it maybe worked. The, maybe the biggest challenge is so the the lead actor Connor Boyd. We we got him. Uh, we reached out to him through TikTok. He's like has a TikTok following. Very random, very unconventional. Yeah. Very punk rock, I think. Um, <laughs> but like we we asked him to come, and he you know did amazing. Um, but the day before we started shooting for principal photography, he got COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to push everything. Yeah. A whole week. So Caleb and our other producer Elena, they just like saved the whole production by. I, I don't even know, like reaching out to everyone and mm-hmm. being like, can you just wait a week longer? I know you have jobs that are paying way more, yeah. but can you, you know, and they just pulled so many like favors. And again, that's a testament to both Caleb and Elena, the producers, but also to the community of Dallas that they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll make this work. And so, but yeah, that was the biggest challenge. I was like freaking out that yeah. morning. I'm like, okay, well, this is over. It's never going to happen. <laughs> well, again, the project is Restorage, a uh, pilot slash short uh, screening at Slamdance. And we've been talking to Ian Verdugo and Caleb Davis. It's been good talking to you guys. Thank you yeah, guys thank you for very having much. us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on today's show. You can find more information about this episode in our show notes. If you're missing us, you can visit us at bitchtalkpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and buy us a cup of coffee. Did you know we're also on the radio? You can find us at bff.fm. And lastly, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All the cool bitches are doing it. This podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.